You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to begin here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors, and I call out to my ancestors. I call out to all of those who have gone before us, who bring all that is good and true and beautiful from our ancestral lines to us as this great, rich legacy. I ask these ancestors to be with us here today, to stand behind us, to give us that firm, gentle but firm push Uh, forward into the lives that are calling us. I ask them to help to guide us along the way that we might not continue to make exactly the same mistakes over again. And I ask them to inspire us with possibilities they did not see in their lives, but that they can see clearly for us. So I call out to these ancestors who lived well and died well to be with us, to help us, the living, meet the challenges of our own time, to bring forward the gifts and the beauty, the medicine, that we are called to bring and to do so in a way that is good for those who are coming. So I ask the ancestors to help us to be good living people for the descendants who are waiting. And I call out to those non-human ancestors around us. May they help us in this time of great challenge with our nature, with our environment, with our food supply, with our water and our earth. We ask these um, ancestral energies who were here long before humans and will be here long after I ask them to be with us and to guide us help us to understand our own true nature and how to blend our nature into that great web of life and truly do what is our part of that great web to do and so with all of these ancestors and their many many forms gathering around us let us gather ourselves from wherever we might be into our head and from our head with a nice breath down to our heart And with the next breath, let's bring our energy from our heart to our belly. And from our belly, let's reach down and take a moment to touch the earth and give thanks to the earth for this day. To give thanks for your life. To give thanks for the richness and the bounty in your life that has brought you all the lessons that have helped you to evolve into the person that you are meant to be. And thanks for all the lessons that are to come that will help us to truly become the people we are destined to be. We give thanks to the earth for beauty and diversity and thanks for the wonder that is life itself. And with the gratitude moving in our hearts, stirring in a big way for life all around us. Let's begin to move our energy down through all the layers of the earth into the center of the earth and to connect there, to connect our energy there, to connect our awareness there and to focus in on the very center of the earth to this energy that is potential before it is abundance before it rises to the surface and becomes all the many things that support life on earth the energy is still 
and silent and dark. Let us connect to this pure potential and feel its capacity to refresh and restore, to nourish us, to replenish us, to revitalize us. And so as we reach into that energy, let us draw it up through all the layers of the earth and into ourselves and into our day and into these proceedings that we might feel more alive, that our abundance is supported with the energy from the earth that is rising up and that we have what it is that we need in nourishment and strength so that we do not hesitate to blossom. And as we call this energy up, let us send our energy down to ground so that we know where we stand in life and what we stand for, so that we understand what it is that we are committing ourselves to and what is worth protecting. And let us build a sense of belonging from this and in that a sense of hearth and home. And let us do this in a way that invites in the other, those that are different than we are that will challenge us to be truly become the men and women that we were born to be. And may the energy of the earth continue to teach us about connection and interconnection and the interrelatedness of things and the interdependence of things. And let us reach out from ourself to our friends, our environment, into the spirit world. And ultimately, may we be blessed in this day with a feeling of the oneness, finding our place in that great web of life and feeling in that moment part of all that is. And may we take right relationship with ourself from that feeling, right relationship with each other, right relationship with the environment, and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we settle in through these connections and grounding and relationship with all things, let us draw the earth energy up from our belly to our heart, and our heart up to our mind, and from our mind up and out into the sky above, and whatever weather it holds for you in this moment, out through the atmosphere and out into the sky, all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you know this energy, by whatever way you conceive of it, connect with it. Connect with it strongly and deeply. See yourself in it and it in you. Know yourself as part of this energy as well and begin to draw this energy down, inviting it into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings. And in this way, call into your life the essence energy of blessings, the essence energy of protection and devotion and commitment. We call down the benevolent energy and all the wisdom of the cosmos calling in inspiration and illumination and we call out to the beneficence of this universe and draw it in we draw these energies into our head and from our head to our heart and our heart to our belly and extend down to the center of the earth and in this way each of us as a human becomes this meeting place of these two great legendary lovers the earth and the sky and we call out to these energies to be robust and lusty and warm inside of us letting the spirit of this life be alive in us and let that spirit awaken our heart let the big love open our heart to the true master of our life that it is and let that crucible of change open up to draw up the fiery passions of the belly that carry that meaning that purpose that sense of why we are here to draw that up into our hearts so that we can become aware of it and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind so that we can be not only aware but able to take action on that awareness we draw these energies down and let them dance together in our hearts so that they give birth to this third and most sacred thing 
which is our remembering of why we are here, that heart's memory, that song that awakens our heart. And may we find in our heart the courage to do something, large or small, in this day, to bring that energy out, to bring out our gifts and our medicine and make them manifest in some way in the world. And we give great gratitude for the boundless spirit help that we have in our efforts of bringing our true soul's purpose out and giving it to the people. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. I have great gratitude to all of you that help me keep the show alive and on the air. For those of you who are listening for the first time, this show is listener-supported. And I give thanks to Sarah and Elise, to Maria, Darcy, Deborah, William and Deb, and all the listeners who have donated to the show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it inspires you, if it irritates you, if it's frustrating or illuminating, if it moves you in some way, know that you've been moved in the heart. And if you've been moved in the heart, let yourself do that most shamanic of actions, which is to allow the things that move you in the heart to motivate your actions in the world. And please do something, large or small, to help the show to grow, to help the show to be sustainable. So you can give financially by going to whyshamanismnow.com and donate any amount, large or small, at the support button. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. Or you can do other things because money is not the only way that we support things in our lives. And the greatest support that you can give to what we're sharing here on the show is for you to bring these ideas into your life and use them, work with them, try to break them, uh, see what happens in your life and report back, especially uh, the questions that arise because those questions always make really interesting shows going forward. So uh, I ask you all, as you are moved by the show, to do something, to share the show, to help to grow, um, to work with the teachings, whatever it is um, that can help this be a sustainable project here in the world so that people anywhere on the earth can connect with these archives. And there's over 300 hours um, and it is a resource for the people. And I thank you for helping me to create this resource for we are the ones, there isn't anybody else here. So we must be the ones who are going to change the story so that we can live a truly new story in the new world. And thank you, everyone, for helping me with that. We are not live today, uh, but if you do have questions about today's topic, you're welcome to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And so today we're continuing on this um, journey in this little series about co-creating and looking not only at the art of co-creating in and of itself, which was um, beautifully uh, represented in um, a show three weeks ago uh, with Elida Birch talking about her book, The Co-Creation Handbook. And then we've talked about co-creating with the dead, and we've talked about co-creating with the living, and now today we're going to talk about co-creating with your shadow. A couple, because of course... You don't have any other option. <laughs> You're here, and so is your shadow. And so your efforts to co-create um, have to proceed and have to go forward um, in some way with the shadow. So 
So a couple of years ago, I offered a show on relationships and I explored the concept that what we experience as attraction, particularly that attraction that we begin feeling when we're teenagers, is actually our shadow selves recognizing their counterparts out there in the other person and pulling us with that attraction into these relationships so that we can see ourselves, that it was about our our hidden selves wanting to be seen and known by pulling us into relationships that the other person would reflect that back to us. And in this way, your shadow selves are just trying to get themselves exposed so they can come out of the shadow. Boy, was that a stick in the hornet's nest. The Facebook posts were flying over that one. No one really wanted to hear that, which kind of surprised me. I sort of thought we all knew that. Um, But anyway, I mean, it's not like it's the most or the first unpopular thing I've ever said. Um, But it's... And just because it's unpopular, you know, doesn't mean that it's not true. So, relative to the context of co-creating, what if our shadow was actually trying in its messed up, self-destructive, terribly resource and energy wasteful way to get us to actually co-create a life that is true to us and our soul's purpose? So what if you and your shadow are actually trying to go in the same direction it's just your methods about going about it are at cross purposes so what if our mind is well kind of full of itself our mind is actually full of our false self and what if our shadow is actually trying to save us from that false self That our shadow is actually trying to save us from this life that is successful and safe and deeply not soul satisfying. So what if that's what was really going on? So what if the shadow, like death, is actually a great ally for a true life? Okay, so I need to back up here for a moment because some of you are probably scratching your head and saying, false self, shadow, aren't they the same thing? And they're really not, not at all. Um, And to think so is a deep, deep misunderstanding or perhaps a misuse of our kind of general psychological understanding. So just to clarify for today's show here, the false self is the you that you construct and then often forget that you're that it's not the entire you but it's the you that you construct to survive it's the one that learns how to succeed in the world in some way that doesn't mean you necessarily fit in with the status quo you could decide that your best way to succeed is as an outcast or a renegade or an artist that's outside of the norm i mean just because you are not mainstream doesn't mean you're not being driven by your false self but the false self is as intelligent as you are, as creative as you are, as, um, well, it's you. But it's you that is entirely survival-based. That you, it's the you that you've learned to be so that you will survive and succeed and potentially flourish. And part of the challenge with dismantling a false self for a lot of people is that their false selves are good. 
Their false selves are seamless. We don't even hardly recognize there's any aspect of ourself that's not part of the false self. We often do things that we're good at in life, and there's a certain satisfaction in that. And often by doing what we're good at in life, we offer things to other people. So my point is not that the false self is bad. It's just the false self is often entirely contrary to your authentic self. Now, if you were able to dismantle your false self, you would likely find that many of the capacities your false self got you to develop would be used in the pursuit of or the manifestation of your authentic self. So again, it's not that the false self is bad. It's just the false self cares about survival. It doesn't care about authenticity. It doesn't care about what has purpose and meaning for your soul. It cares about what will pay the bills in the time that you are born into. So it's, it um, is orchestrated by external standards. And the authentic self is being driven by internal standards um, that then align with what's going on in the outer world. So that's the false self. A shadow self... Oh, and the more intelligent you are, the harder it is to see the difference or feel the difference between you and your false self. The more intelligent you are, the more complex and sophisticated your false self will be. And so the more challenging it is actually to get at it and dismantle it. So the other energy that we want to talk about here today is the shadow. So the shadow is connected not so much with the psychological construct that's developed, the sense of who I am based on fitting into the world. It's not so much that kind of construct. The shadow comes out of um, an archetypal realm. And so it resonates uh, in the in the, I would say, deeper, I guess, aspects of ourself that are mythic and that respond to dreams and poems and move with the patterns that are present around us underneath that which is apparent. False self is very much about what is apparent. And the shadow self moves more in the realm of things that may not be apparent but are nonetheless real. So the shadow itself that we would have this space essentially within ourself that we would call the shadow is is an archetypal situation it's not good or bad it just is the fact that we stuff parts of ourself into that place and then sever our relationship with them that's the problem with the shadow so so what is the shadow then so the shadow itself in and of itself It has no personality and none of you. It's just a space. It's just an archetypal space um, into which we can put aspects of ourself we are afraid of or that we have judged harshly. It's where we put the parts of ourself we are uh, ashamed of or we learn to be ashamed of. We learn to be afraid of. We learn to judge and we we are profoundly uncertain about. So the nature of the space of the shadow is that anything put there becomes lost to the conscious self and it becomes part of the unconscious. Just like a shadow, uh, my body casts because the sun is behind me, the shadow itself, the archetypal shadow, is neither good nor bad. 
Um, it's just hard to see things clearly that have been cast in shadow. And so these aspects of ourself that we might shove into that space become very hard to see clearly. And the longer they stay in the shadow, the harder and harder it becomes to see them clearly. So generally what we refer to as shadow is not so much the space as it is the rejected aspects of ourselves that we have put in the space. And so these are both aspects of ourself that we value um, and parts of ourself we don't value. Okay, so these are, so you might wonder why would I put parts of myself I value into the shadow? Because for whatever reason, in spite of the fact that you value that aspect of yourself, you've been taught to fear it or to judge it. So um, usually these valuable aspects of ourself are referred to as positive or light. But I think it's more helpful really to just talk about them as things that we value. Um, because the other kind of selves that we put into the shadow is things we think we don't value. And these are usually called negative selves or dark selves. And I don't so much like those words. Um, but the point is there are aspects of ourselves that might develop that we are not happy with. Um, so, for example, if we're constantly teased as a child, we might develop a sharp tongue. And we might develop um, a mean spirit and um, a sharp, uh, mean-spirited way of uh, protecting ourselves with people. And as we get older, we may and aren't teased anymore because, I don't know, we don't have buck teeth or knobbly knees or whatever. We may find that that um, way of defending ourselves is hard to get rid of. And so that part of ourself might go into the shadow some part of ourselves we don't so much like. Um, nonetheless, they're all aspects of ourself and they are usually misunderstood, that there's usually no reason to fear or judge them and that they have become problematic, problematic selves precisely because they've been pushed into the shadow. So because these aspects of ourself have been lost in the unconscious, they end up repressed, undeveloped, and denied. In other words, the shadow closet is filled with undeveloped potential that we don't know about because anything that is in the unconscious we're not really very aware of in our conscious self. So the parts of ourself we tend to send into the shadow are the parts that we want to be protected from the light or from being seen. And these are parts of ourself that have been judged harshly and usually incorrectly. So we have learned that these parts are bad from others. So it's, it's, it, just as much as the false self is about using external standards to create a life that will be successful, the shadow self is about severing off aspects of ourself because forces outside of us have taught us that those parts are quote-unquote bad or should be feared or are too intense or something like that. And so we hide them from the light. So these parts, once they're stuck in the shadow, ferment and brood and twist around on themselves over time. I mean, what would you do if you were unfairly judged and forced to live in a closet all your life? Without time, without love, all smashed together with other rejects from life. So if you're forced to do that for years or even decades, you'd be a little bit problematic too. 
And so this is what happens to our shadow selves. And our shadow selves are not necessarily the shadow, which is simply an archetypal space within us. It's a, it can be a respite, but it becomes a prison. So the important thing to remember about our shadow selves is that every energy shoved into the shadow was originally an ally of your soul's purpose. In fact, it was a necessary ally, absolutely required um, if you were to truly and robustly be who you came here to be. And so while the false self is an entire construct that is contrary to your authentic self, the shadow self is built of aspects of yourself that were always original and authentic and destined to be part of that life expression. They're, they have been misjudged and shoved in the shadow and then transformed by that experience into something problematic. Um, but they are part of your original energy. So the issue is not what the energy, what energy you find there in the shadow or even how it got there. That's not really all that important. What is important is that every energy recovered from the shadow must be transformed, not directly integrated. The transformation requires unconditional acceptance and only after that energy has been transformed into an ally would we then want to integrate them. So everything in the shadow began life with you, poised and ready to share in living your soul's purpose. Everything in the shadow is an ally, functioning in your life as an enemy. That's the problem of the shadow. And our collective shadow behavior creates enemies to living in ways that are sane, sustainable, and that embrace diversity, and that embrace a wisdom that includes and is greater than human wisdom. They are rooted in the big love that connects us all. So I'm going to kind of say that again. So there's not only our personal shadow, but we tend to collude and create collective shadows. And that energy creates this sort of collective enemy or permission collectively to behave as an enemy to life, to the soul's purpose. And so our collective shadow behavior creates enemies to, to our efforts to live in ways that are sane sustainable and embrace diversity and that embrace a wisdom that includes and is greater than human wisdom and that is rooted in the big love that connects us all. So even though our energies began as one with us, when they go into the shadow, they become contrary to life. So the more powerful the true ally, then the more powerful this energy is once it's in the shadow and functioning as an enemy. In other words, the more effective our collective shadow is in disrupting and sabotaging our life together and the more we have to gain from entering the shadow realm and transforming our collective and our personal shadow energies. So, how do they affect, they being the shadow selves, affect your efforts to co-create a better world and a more joyful life? So let's look at the four principles Elida gave us the very first week we started talking about co-creating so the principles that Elida gave us are four essential concepts that when understood and applied to life will change how you think and feel and act and they support you 
in a very effectively using your human mind and heart with your shamanic skills to co-create your life. So the first is happiness is a fundamental choice. Your false self would say you will be happy when you fit in. You are happy when you make money and you survive. That your happiness is defined externally. That it's not a fundamental internal choice. Your shadow self would do something more seductive. Would seduce you towards something with the promise that it would make you happy. So that in the process you discover a part of yourself that once you transform it, it does make you happy. So the thing you were after, the thing the shadow self sent you after in and of itself would not make you happy. It's, it's, um, it's a lie. But the shadow self it connects you to once transformed into an ally is most likely an energy that will help you make happiness a fundamental choice and be happy. So they, they, the false self and the shadow selves drive us differently. So another one of the principles for co-creating is being in the flow of manifestation brings you joy. So the false self would say, manifesting what you want will bring you joy. The process is annoying and tedious or arduous and stressful. And what you need to do is just get there. Get to that perfect place that will bring you love and happiness. That's the kind of message the false self says. And then it says by doing xyz you'll have that now of course it's a moving target and you usually don't end up having that but that's what the false self convinces you the shadow self on the other hand usually will trip you up by bringing out patterns of things like depression or something that is contrary to joy Joy is sort of an innate capacity within you that when you're in the flow of things, it just um, geysers up. And what the shadow self is going to do is bring out some self who's able to put their foot on the geyser to keep it from bubbling up and to um, present to you a non-joyful image of life so that you will track down where that is coming from and in that find yourself transform that shadow self and ultimately have greater access to that true joy geyser so pattern number three was how you respond to your choice or how you respond is your choice sorry so the false self doesn't believe this at all that how you respond is your choice the false self has preconditioned responses to everything that how you respond is defined in a, some correct manner and that, that those are your only options. The shadow self, on the other hand, actually does believe that how you respond is your choice. It's just when you're responding out of your shadow self, you're not really responding with what's going on in reality. And so that's kind of the tricky thing about the shadow is if you're responding out of the shadow, like being the rebel or being a, the judge or being – or lying – you know, these, um, these affect how you respond to choices. So the shadow self knows that it's your choice how you respond, but shadow selves change what your choice is. And then the final um, 
principal from Elida, was choose to be the predominant creative force in your life. Now, this is interesting because relative to co-creating your life, your false self agrees with this entirely. Your false self believes it is the predominant creative force in your life and you should stop annoying it from what it's doing and just go away. So the false self finds the authentic, uh, the authentic self a problem because it keeps derailing the false self's excellent job at being the creative force in, the, in your life and creating a life that is safe and successful and um, fits in to the world one way or another. Now the shadow self is actually the predominant creative force in your life because in the sense of consciousness – where we are consciously aware about choosing and creating, we tend to hesitate and think and assess, analyze, sometimes utterly getting in our own way or sometimes um, working beautifully to move towards the vision. But the point is, it is there is hesitation, there is deliberation, um, there is holding back often. But the shadow, because it moves through the unconscious never holds back at all it, it the, the shadow selves are non-stop constantly co-creating our life with spirit even and certainly with us that they are a dominant creative force because they do not hesitate to create and the more that we can um stop hesitating I don't know how else to say it. The more that we cannot hesitate in our creation of our life and not overly um, analyze things and deliberate for forever and never take action, um, in, in this sense, we could behave more like the shadow and simply move towards what it is that we want. And so the difference is what all shadow selves want is the same. They want out. They want back into life. They want to do their part they were born to do. The problem with us in life is what we want isn't so clear. And so this is another reason that the shadow selves function really well as co-creating forces in our lives. And thus, all the more reason to transform your shadow selves and bring them into your um, true consciousness because they already know how to manifest they already know how to co-create reality without hesitating. So let's look at how the shadow could be trying to redirect you to a more authentic expression in the co-creation of your life, and in particular, a life of meaning and purpose. Again, the shadow is not contrary to meaning and purpose. It's just a convoluted path towards meaning and purpose. Usually the shadow shows up and derails your very intentional process for co-creating your life. And this is why the shadow gets a bad rap. Um, and the shadow self does this by leading you into decisions that you are sure are truly right for yourself. And then there is an, that there is an argument for the decision. It is a sound argument, but also that it's one that if you pick it apart to the logic underlying it, you will find that it's based in some kind of fear or judgment. Because the logic the false selves are using is the same logic you used to shove them into the shadow in the first place. So, in other words, 
if you are involved in co-creating your life, as we've talked about for several weeks here, and you notice yourself behaving like a martyr, then what the shadow is trying to say is that there is some healing function that needs to happen. That there, in, in essence, there's a healer that's wanting to emerge um, or a healing that's wanting to emerge as you're going forward in this part of your path towards co-creation. So healing is wanting to happen or a healer is wanting to emerge in some way. And I don't mean necessarily a healer as a job title. I just mean um, the, the manifestation of some aspect of your healing capacity, right? So when the martyr shows up and your co-creation begins to get derailed by this martyrdom. Oh, yeah, okay, sure, I'll stay an extra 10 hours tonight and not get to that thing I wanted to do for my own project. Oh, sure, yeah, okay, that's fine. Yeah, I'd be happy to take your hours. No, don't worry about it, you know, that kind of martyrdom. So your, your co-creative process gets derailed, your intentional one. But what the martyr is trying to show you is that this healer energy wants to show up and that part of the healing is you have really crappy boundaries with yourself and with others. And it, it's, it, it sounds like an oversimplification to say that it's about boundaries, but it's really not. That boundaries themselves have become oversimplified and the truth of the matter is boundaries are an extremely important and powerful part of your energy body and how your energy body functions in relationship with others. And so it's very important uh, in terms of co-creating your life to have correct boundaries with everything that you're coming into contact with. So when the addict shows up in your co-creation process, you all could finish this sentence for me. You all know what happens when the addict shows up in your co-creative process. Let's say you're trying to create something with a dietary change and you end up eating you know, what you know you shouldn't eat. Um, you're creating a new life with your kids after a big divorce and then you lose your kids because you start drinking again. You know, these, these, the, the addict energy is really powerful and it, and it definitely, easily derails the life that we're trying to co-create. In fact, some addicts actually still succeed in co-creating a life that's really close to what they want, but they don't get to enjoy it because they're kind of falling into the hole of the addiction. So what that shadow is trying to tell us, again, is that there's healing energy that wants to move or a healer aspect of ourself that wants to step forward and help us to connect with a deeper truth in who we are. So, let's say someone is addicted to sugar. We'll choose something that appears to be benign but really isn't. So what it is that they could truly need for their authenticity would be to be regularly ingesting the sweetness of spirit or regularly ingesting the sweetness of love or something else. But instead, they're afraid to do the real thing and they're taking the cheap second, which is the actual sugar. And so the addiction is driven, in the beginning at least, 
by the avoidance of the true thing that we need and want. But the beauty of this is if we can notice these patterns of how the shadow energies are derailing our co-creation, we can see what it is that we need to bring in in greater clarity in our in our plan. So another shadow pattern that can show up relative to our plans to co-create our life is the rebel. And this is an expression in our life of misplaced authority. So um, we are in rebellion when we are over when we over identify with being independent, being contrary from being overly self-sufficient and different just for the sake of being different. And we're doing this without structure. So the energy without structure but also apart from the system. So while we may tell ourselves that we're being you know, constructively destructive, the truth of the matter is we're outside of the system. So it's just making a mess and wasting resources in a sense. So when the rebel shows up and derails your process because usually what you're doing is you're rebelling against the co-creation process itself. But what the shadow is trying to show you is that your co-creation process needs stronger, more systematic, more structured warriorship. That there's warriorship needing to happen and you're not stepping up to that challenge. And that's what the rebel is showing you. It's rebelling against an aspect of your co-creative process that's getting kind of blah, 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 kind of the same thing over again and not really stepping into the challenge that is present in in this particular effort that you're in to co-create your life. Now, the disciple itself is present when we leave our authority unclaimed. In other words, we we project our power onto the guru that we're a disciple to the teacher the parent the whatever and um and then refuse to claim our power because a good parent a good teacher a good healer they're always handing people's power back to them it's not unusual for people to try to give it um but when you're um in your integrity in those roles you just hand it back to people and saying i don't want this you need to use it right so when people move into this disciple mode, they're constantly putting people up on a pedestal. We say that all the time, but we don't think about what that means. What that means, so the person has amount of power A. When we put them up on the pedestal, they appear to have more power than we do because we projected our power on them in addition. So that's like amount B. So it, they seem to have A plus B power. But really, they just have their own power, and the pedestal has been created by the power the person has projected onto them. And so then what happens is we over-idealize the person, and then another way that we sometimes do this is to begin to compete with those teachers, leaders, healers. And so when the disciple shows up, of course... It derails your life because it moves you after teachers, leaders, healers, you know, someone that you're projecting your power onto and that that path of following that whatever 
is away from the co-creation of your life. But what the shadow is trying to say in that disciple pattern is that within you, there is uh, a leader, a teacher, healer, you know, whoever it is you're projecting onto, that that energy is is needing to rise up in you to lead towards your co-creation more definitively. And that you're shirking the warriorship necessary to bring that part of yourself out. So again, we can use these shadow patterns to diagnose and more uh, accurately tune ourselves in to our co-creative process. So another shadow pattern is the victim. And this is when we... um, sort of project our power onto another person in a way that allows dominance and subordinance um, versus a sense of sovereignty of all. You know, you, the victim is truly sovereign, the supposed perpetrator is truly sovereign, both are and there is no dominance or um, submission really to that. So the victims are often drawn to leaders who prove ultimately to be ineffective or out of integrity or inappropriate or lacking impeccability. They are often charismatic, but if you really pay attention, you realize they cannot deliver what they are selling or more commonly that they aren't actually living what they're selling. They may even be able to constantly convince their followers that they're living it but they're not if you look closer so the thing about when we're in a victim mode we start blaming things outside of ourselves um, judging and withdrawing due to our disappointment and these are ways that we derail ourselves from our co-creative process things aren't happening and it's someone else's fault that um, we start judging this and judging that so then we start doubting our process Um, we either attack those who would help us or avoid them so there's an it's either excess or deficiency around others that we need to connect with in terms of our co-creative process but either way what happens is when we go into victim mode we have utterly derailed our co-creative process because the only thing a victim can create, only thing we create from victim mode, I should say, is perpetration. That we act out from that place in a way that swings the pendulum from our perceived victimhood to the perpetration when we're in shadow. And so what we need to do is notice that we're doing that and recognize that what this means is that we are stepping away, withdrawing from the true warriorship that our our co-creative process is calling um, forth from us 
to be able to really step into our sovereignty, you know, that sense of groundedness and place. This is who I am. This is what I stand for. This is my vision for my life and I am manifesting it and it is my birthright to do so and no one can say otherwise. That ability to be in that place in a way that isn't excessive and doesn't roll over everybody else's right to be in their sovereignty. And so when we're when we're playing the victim in relative to our process of co-creation, it's that that sense of warriorship is being we're shirking that warriorship that would move us into that place of sovereignty that we need to move forward with our co-creation process. And so another aspect of um, pattern around shadow stuff in co-creation is invisibility. And so that is a place I see this, the most common manifestation around co-creation is someone who sets their vision towards what they want to co-create in life and then just looks again and again and again for someone else or some other entity to create it for them. And so in other words, they want, they want the life they want to create, but they're, they're rising to that place on someone else's coattails. And it, that's an important thing to realize because not everybody needs to be the front man. You know, not everybody needs to be out there. That there are a lot of other worthy roles in life. Not everybody needs to be the star. So this is often a situation of right action, wrong motivation. If I am moving towards the co-creation of my life on someone else's coattails as a way to hide my power, then it's inappropriate, right? But if I'm doing that because fulfilling that role with that person who is the front person is a manifestation of my gifts and my soul's purpose then it's appropriate and so this is the kind of tricky thing to see here it's often about really checking what is the motivation why am I doing this am I doing this because I'm afraid to step out truly as who I am and I need the safety or the glamour or the protection of this other person who is successful so that's what's coming in the invisibility piece. And so when, when we derail our co-creative process that way, and again, just because you choose to manifest a support role in your life doesn't mean you're in shadow. I'm not saying that. That someone could, well, the woman that assists me in my life has created for herself a beautiful life as a virtual assistant. She's choosing to support people. She does it excellently. And she's very happy doing it. So it's a really great example of choosing in life and making other people look good. She's not doing that as a way of stepping into her power. She's in her power doing those tasks easily with grace and a good heart, actually. So it's a good example. You've chosen to co-create a life that puts you in a support position. That doesn't mean you're in shadow. You're in shadow when you're choosing to be invisible, um, refusing to step forward, hiding your true authenticity to enjoy someone else's success. So another pattern that shows up is the judge. And the judge easily derails by judging everything externally 
or judging yourself internally, judging the co-creative process itself, but it's a way of constantly seeing what's not working and then reevaluating to the degree that there's never any forward movement in your co-creation process. And when this happens, what your shadow by playing in this behavior of the judge, what your shadow is trying to show you is that there is a leader wanting to happen and you are not willing to risk leading. In other words, you're already capable of leading, but you're not willing to risk doing it. And so, and your co-creative process needs you to lead it. It needs you to step up in that way. So another pattern, another shadow pattern that can show up in our behavior that is indicative of something we need to be doing on a co-creative process is a controller. And so this is when you, um, so, so you have your co-creative vision here of how you want to go forward, but everything has to happen in this particular way. And I can't do this until I unpack all of my boxes. And this really needs to happen before um, my mother comes to town. You know, so there's all of these false parameters around how whatever needs to happen can happen. So you're not really riding the flow of manifestation. You're, you're, you're slogging along in the process of co-creation, feeling very much in charge when you're actually in control. And being in charge and in your sovereignty in doing something is very different from controlling something. What happens with the controller is that your co-creative process never sort of catches the current. You don't get to experience the real joy of being in the flow of the manifestation. And the controller, because it's really kind of squeezing the life out of everything, ultimately allows you to just barely create your version of the co-creative process. You know, you sort of barely create your vision. Um, But by the time you get there, it's not very satisfying. Um, versus using the fact that controller is showing up to help you realize that you're not willing to surrender and allow your power to align with life, to align with the dreaming, to align with your helping spirits. In other words, you're not really co-creating. You're personally creating. right? You're not letting your power merge with the, other, the power of these um, spirit basically, and help to move you into the flow of that manifestation. Another uh, shadow pattern that's similar to this is the righteous zealot. It's being positional about things. And it's very similar to being a controller, um, but it's based on old stories and definitions, old limits, old possibilities, or holding on to a vision too tightly. Um, or um, holding on to how the help needs to come, how things need to happen instead of being open to possibility. So when the righteous zealot steps up and you get real positional in your co-creation process, that is um, your shadow self is showing you that you have had kind of like a, a failure in your heart, a failure in the strength of your heart to believe in your co-creative process and move towards it. 
um, and to allow yourself to be changed along the way. So it's, you know, allowing the act of the co-creative process to teach you how to be the person that you would be in that vision. You have, you have to learn along the way. And when we're righteous and positional, it's like we're refusing to relearn who we are so that we can become the person who can actually live that vision. Um, so there's a couple more patterns that we can notice us, notice ourselves in in shadow, which then sort of guides us in our co-creative process. And one is that we're simply lying. Lying to ourselves or lying to others about the current reality or about the vision, right? So if I'm lying about something in the current reality, then I'm not going to create this plan of moving towards uh, what I want to co-create with spirit um, in a, it won't be thorough because it will be based on essentially false information. Um, we can also lie about the vision itself. And the, we've in the last couple shows, we've talked about reasons we might be doing that. So the important thing here is what your shadow self is trying to tell you to do is to shut up and check your truth cord. Get your head out of it, get your fears out of it, and check to make sure that your your gut instinct and your heart and your inspiration in your mind are aligned and that they're aligned with the truth within you and apply that information to the co-creative process instead of lying to yourself about the different parts of it. And then finally, there's, there is a shadow pattern that we get into, which is simply self-denial, which seems very odd relative to co-creating since co-creating is all about the creation of a life that's a reflection of your true self and your gifts, but it happens. And so this takes us back to beliefs and values and very likely back to previous shows of the last couple of weeks about how unresolved ancestral energies um, can affect how you see yourself in the world, how you see reality, um, how you see possibilities. And so what the shadow is trying to do when you are in this kind of self-denial is to invite you to recognize within yourself that no one else can have this vision. There is not a teacher or a leader or an inspirational speaker or anybody else that can dial in your true vision, not a psychic, not anything. Because that vision that you want to work with spirit to co-create is unique to you to your passions that are not yet realized, to your heart that is not yet fully expressed. So it's about not only you in the moment, which a psychic can see, but about you that is unfolding and your own path towards your destiny, which is, which is a creative path. And so only you can be that visionary. And this is what that kind of self-denial and the doubt that comes with it is showing you is that you need to step up as the visionary who is truly the dominant creative force in your life and drive that co-creative process forward. And so in this way, our shadow selves can actually help us in our creative process. 
and in this way, in the in what we consider the most disturbing and frightening and problematic aspects of ourselves, we actually can find um, the deeply needed gifts and medicine within ourselves that are so important to emerge in our co-creative process. So I want to give thanks to the spirits, to the ancestors who have gathered round, to the earth below and the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. All of the classes are up on the lastmaskcenter.org website. You can go to the calendar to find them, and you can register for most of them, as long as we're doing the registration, through the website. Thank you, everyone, and have a great week.